We get started this morning. We're going to look back at Matthew chapter 6. We had gotten through what's described as almsgiving or what we said was the uh, the doing of righteousness. We talked about the three activities of a Christian that should make up the Christian daily life, and that is doing righteousness or giving, praying, and fasting. And we talked about these as being the three duties that we have each day. Um, they're not something that we should uh, that we should take lightly, and they're not things that we should um, ignore, but they are things that should be what our job description is. We kind of de, uh, described it in that way, okay? That if you have a job description of what you would do at your job on a daily basis, it would have some characteristics, some things, some requirements, okay? We expect you to finish this Excel spreadsheet. We expect you to, uh, if you're a nurse, you have to document and document and document and document all this stuff. Uh, and there's all these things that our job descriptions require of us. And we talked about the duty that we have in serving Jesus Christ on a daily basis. It has a job description. Okay, part of that is praying, giving, and fasting. And so we talked about, obviously, each day you may not do uh, one or, or, or others of these, okay? Maybe you don't have the opportunity each day to give in a certain financial way. Maybe you don't have the opportunity to fast daily, okay? We described as we were going through and discussing about Lent, we talked about the different kinds of fasts. We talked about how we fasted for seven different weeks. We fasted from seven different things in seven different ways, okay? And we kind of realized real quick that food was actually the easiest thing to fast from. The hardest thing was apparently radio, okay? Uh, so we, we see how our lives get in this habitual nature of becoming reliant on things without us even knowing about it. Didn't know how reliant we were each day on the radio, how much it affected our lives until we said, stop it, don't do it for a week. And it was like, oh, you know, I had this, this gut reaction to reach over there and flip the switch and turn it on and listen to something. So what we were trying to do, as we said last time, we were trying to repeal and replace, okay? We were trying to take out that thing of the world that we relied on and had, had gotten in a habit of, of just instinctually going to, and we wanted to replace those with godly habits. So instead of instinctually going to turn on the radio, how about we instinctually go to pray, okay? That in our cars as we're driving to work and school and around town, that instead of just flipping on the radio to drown out the uh, thoughts of our minds or whatever it may be, or just as a comfort thing, we let silence be there. We let a conversation with God develop. We talked about trying to change our daily lives in those ways. So we talked last time about giving, and we talked about how that plays out, how we give. We talked about giving financially, but also giving blessings, being a blessing to other people, that we give uh, patience and time, that we give liberally, um, that the, he that soweth much reaps much, he that soweth little reaps little. And that we should be giving the gospel of all things, that we should be preaching, teaching, and conversing about the gospel with neighbors, friends, co-workers. And ultimately that we give broadly and in many different ways. But that we have a life that is marked by giving, okay? because that's what Jesus' life was. 
His whole life was one gift. Everything he did every day was a gift. Teaching us how to pray was a gift. Teaching us about fasting, giving healings, giving food, giving everything that he did ultimately culminating with giving his life was a gift. Okay? So we are followers of Jesus Christ. That's why we call ourselves Christians. Therefore, we should live the life that he lived, which is a life of giving. The other thing that we looked at, or we are going to look at this morning, is prayer and fasting. Okay? So we turn back to Matthew chapter 6, and we look at verse 5 where he says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father, which is in secret. And thy father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions, as the heathen do. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. But not ye therefore, or be not ye therefore like unto them, for your father knoweth what things ye have need of before you ask him. After this manner therefore pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now... I think of all the sections of Scripture in this part, as we're talking about prayer, those last two verses in 14 and 15 are profoundly influential in the message that he is trying to teach. So we go through here, and people want to kind of zero in and pull out and go, oh, well, this is what, you know, and then should, should we pray like this? Or is it just, you know, they say it's the Lord's Prayer. Should it be called the Disciples' Prayer? Should it be called the Model Prayer? Should it be called whatever, you know, we go through all this rigmarole of trying to figure out what he's talking about. The last two verses tell you exactly what he's talking about. Out of all that section of Scripture, the last two verses are key. Well, let's go back up to verse 5, and let's start thinking about what he's, what kind of, teachings we're grabbing out of this section number one we catch that he says when you pray not if you pray will you pray he says when you pray an expectation he didn't think it was optional he didn't think it was something that would be for a good healthy habit okay he expected us to pray when you pray these are the things that I want you to consider. But it is when you pray. Now, as we look at the context of this scripture, and when he talks about here, about standing in, in, in the places of men, in the synagogues, in the corners of streets that they may be seen, you know, it is interesting when he talks about standing. There was a very much a cultural, very ancient cultural thing. It's still part of the practice and still a very uh, normal thing is that standing was the normal position for prayer. Okay, so we see a lot of examples with Jesus Christ, especially when he's about to feed the multitude. He's standing with his arms out, hands 
stands up looking up to heaven and says, bless this food, and you know, then he feeds the 5,000. A lot of times we get into this, uh, into our cultural norm, into our habits where we think that the normal posture and position for prayer is either kneeling, bowing, eyes closed, you know, what, whatever it may be. But this was a cultural norm to stand, okay? It's perfectly acceptable to stand in prayer, perfectly acceptable to extend your hands out in prayer and look up to heaven. That's a perfectly acceptable position for prayer, okay? But the position is not what's at issue here. It's not that they were standing, okay? You know, this isn't, oh, well, they stood, and that's why they're in trouble, okay? They stood up, and they should have kneeled and bowed their heads. Don't they know that? Um, and they didn't say, God is great, God is good, let us thank us for a foot. You know, they, he, they were, that was their problem. No, that's not what their problem was. It was where they were standing and why, okay? Now... The where they were standing is even not a biggest issue in this. It's not that, oh, well, you're not supposed to stand in the synagogue and pray. No, no, that's a, you know, Jesus Christ himself said, my father's house will be a house of prayer. So standing in the synagogue and praying wasn't an issue. Standing on the street corner and praying, still not an issue, okay? We pray out in public. We pray when we go out to eat. This is not a condemnation for those things like you're not supposed to pray in the house of God and you're not supposed to pray out in public, Okay. You hear sometimes people will, on the contrary side of this, they kind of flip it in that direction. See, God says you're supposed to go into your closet. You're not supposed to be praying out in front of people. Therefore, you're not supposed to pray out in public. Pray out at school. Pray out at uh, meetings. Pray out at dinner. Pray out at, you know, you're supposed to pray in your closet. It's supposed to be a personal, you know, thing here. Okay. Well, I, I, I can see what you're trying to do. Okay. I can see what you're getting at. And yes, I will agree with you. If you were praying out in public in the ways that these men were praying, I would agree, you need to quit. Okay, But they were praying out in public for a purpose, to be seen of men. They weren't having a conversation with God. They weren't seeking His blessings. They wanted to be seen. Made them look really pious and religious. Look at that. They pray before they eat. Look at that. They wear funny clothes. They pray on the street corners. They just must be very humble and, and, you know, and very pious people. That was their issue. It wasn't their position. It wasn't their place. It was their heart. And that's what we've talked about all of chapter 5 and now into chapter 6. It's the heart that is the problem. It's not that the fact that you were... You haven't actually committed the act of adultery. It's that your wicked heart is lusting even without committing the act of adultery. Your heart's the issue. It's not that you're praying on a street corner. It's that you're praying because you just want people to see you. You want people to look at you and go, oh, they must be a Christian. Or maybe you pray out in public just because you think, oh, because I'm a Christian, I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to pray before I eat. I don't want all these other people around me to think that I don't do that. But he tells us here there are two rewards from prayer. One of the rewards is a reward of men and a reward for yourself. The other one is the reward of God. I will wager you can figure out which one's the preferred one this morning. You're all very smart people. So which one do we choose? Which one do we want? Which one are we seeking? When we go to the Lord in prayer, what is it that we are desiring? 
Because let me tell you what, if you're praying just because you want other people to approve of you, think you're a certain way, get some kind of standing with people, and look, I'm not going to be as naive or pretend like that does not happen, okay? I'm not going to pretend or be as naive or be as dishonest with you to say that there are probably times that I have prayed out in public and not really had a desire to do so. I just did it because it's just what it was, it's just what is expected. It's just expected of you, especially when you're with a certain crowd. It's just expected. But why are we doing it? Are we doing it for the reward of men or are we doing it for the reward of of God, Because I promise you, if we're doing it for the reward of men, that is such a cheap reward, okay? You ever been disappointed with a gift? Ever been disappointed with a reward, okay? So let's say all of y'all that I think, you know, you've, you've probably experienced this and either as parents or children. You go to school, and in public school, as you know, we're all broke because we don't want to pay taxes and have good schools. So we have to do fundraisers, okay? And we have to sell all amounts of garbage to people, okay? And in the end, your whole goal for selling it is because, at least it was when, when I was in, in uh, elementary school, you would sell all this stuff because the promise was that if you sold like $10 million worth of stuff, okay, you would get like the greatest prize in the world, okay? As you reflect back on it, you realize those prizes really weren't all that good, okay? Right, for the amount of money you sold uh, stuff for, you actually could have gone out and bought something better. Okay, I sold three thousand dollars worth of gummy bears or cookies or whatever it may be. Okay, and I got like one of those little uh, gooey stickum things you can throw on the wall. Okay, so there's times where you would put all this effort into going door to door, selling all this stuff, begging people for money, and then you get your prize and you go, yeah, okay. Now, you had to feign that it was really awesome because you just realized you wasted like a quarter of your life at that point in time uh, selling this stuff just to get really a very worthless toy, okay? That was broken within like a day or a week or however long. It was a very disappointing reward for what effort you put into it. Well, let me just tell you, it takes a lot of effort to fake pray, Okay? It takes a lot of effort to put on a show. It takes a lot more effort to make yourself look holier than you really are. Okay? It takes a lot of effort to do that. Especially as broken up and busted up as all of us are to make us look good. That takes a lot. You know, especially when you think about how broken we really are. It takes a lot to try to make people think we're really awesome. But that's what a lot of people, that's a lot of us, that's what we try to do. I want you to view me this, this way. I want you to think of me this way. I want you to have this opinion of me that I'm strong and a solid Christian and I pray before everything because I'm just so holy, you know. I pray when I get in the car. I pray when I get out of the car. I pray when I go in the door, out the door. I pray before my meals. I pray after my meals, you know. Give me a thank you for it, bless it, and then a thank you after it. And, 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 and I go through the day and I just have, the, I'm just such a prayer warrior, we want everybody to think of us like we're that way. And in reality, we realize that we really haven't remembered to pray in like a week. But putting on that, putting on that facade, trying to make people think that we really are awesome. It's a very exhausting thing. It's a very tiring thing. 
And the reward from it is a very cheap reward. So on the other side of that, God says, look, prayer was meant to be something more. Prayer is not some fancy, uh, you know, ritualistic, um, you know, kind of incantation. Okay. Prayer is a conversation. Prayer is a conversation with God. Prayer is a conversation with the creator of the universe. That's what prayer was meant to be. It was to be a deeper connective force between the creator and man. That's what it was. Talk to me. Tell me your burdens. I already know what you need. You're not coming to me to reveal some special thing that you that I missed somehow. That somehow as God was looking down and in his infinite wisdom and omnipresence and omniscience and all-knowingness and all these things that somehow he missed. Oh, yeah, by the way, Adam needs a little help today. <laughs> Adam needs a little support today. Adam needs a little blessing. Adam needs me to move here. You know, and, and you came to me and you let me know that. Oh, thanks for, you know, opening that lid and, and, and just blowing God's mind this morning, okay? He already knows those things. So if he knows those things, why does he say pray? Why does he say pray? Why does he say talk to me? Come before my throne of grace to receive mercy and help in your time of need. Why does he say that? Because it's about the conversation. Think about this with, with Christ, okay? As we look at things with Christ. Christ prayed, okay? Now, Christ is God, okay? Jesus Christ was God, Okay, right? We're all in agreement on that. Okay, we believe in a Trinitarian God, correct? And we believe in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the Son of God coming down, being made flesh. Okay, so we believe God 100% in the flesh, Jesus Christ. And he prayed. Now you got to imagine on some kind of, you know, very ethereal, connected level of Godhead, that probably a conversation was not necessary. Okay, I'm sure they communicate in ways beyond our comprehension. You know, they're all knowing. Both of them are. So I'm sure they could probably communicate in some kind of telepathic way. They didn't need to, okay? Yet Christ prays. Multiple occasions that we see Christ praying. And at different times, too. Here he says, this is how you pray. And he gives them this prayer. Later he'll pray for the fish and the loaves. Lord, bless the food. Well, that's already two things right there. Later, he will pray for his disciples. If you think about uh, John chapter 17, there's what's described as the high priestly prayer, which would be when Christ is in the garden and he's praying for his disciples and he's praying for them and praying for God to continue to bless them and perpetuate them after he leaves. That prayer is there. He's praying intercessorily for other people. He tells Peter, I've prayed for you. We don't have that one recorded, do we? But he tells Peter, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. Well, again, you think about that for a second. Stop for a second and think about that. Jesus Christ praying for Peter, it's not recorded. So you've got to say, well, when did he do this? Because all these other prayers, they look like they get captured. This is one of those times Jesus up on the mountain just decides, I'm going to pray for Peter. I know Satan's desiring to sift him as wheat. So I'm going to pray for him. 
well, you're God. Why can't you just kind of, you know, like do your whole sovereign thing and just go ahead and move in place there? No. How did Jesus said he was going to protect and help Peter? He didn't say, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. So you know what? I took him out back and I whipped him and I locked him in the broom shed. He didn't say Satan was desiring to sift you as wheat. So I called down legions of angels to come and just destroy. You know, he didn't say that, did he? What did Christ say he did? He prayed. I prayed for you. You know, sometimes we will throw that out very, I don't mean arbitrarily, but it's kind of like, again, it's one of those Christianese things that we do. It's like, oh, somebody's having a problem. Okay, I'll pray for you. And then sometimes we actually remember to do that. And then most of the times we really don't. Okay. It's not malicious. We just, you know, we've got 15 million things in my head as we talked about before. I think maybe on Wednesday night about uh, having to have reminders. Okay. And my ADHD kicking in that I got to have reminders for my reminders, because if I don't have those, then I'm just lost. You can tell me something and literally I'll say, yes, I'm going to do that. And I'll walk away 30 minutes later and go, I don't remember the conversation. What were you talking about? You know, it's just, that's just my brain. Okay, so people will tell me to do things at work and they'll ask me to do things for them at work and I'll be like, okay, but you do realize that as you're telling to me this to me in the middle of clinic, you are going to physically have to grab me at the end of clinic and turn me and walk me to wherever you want me to go and tell me what to do again because you just told it to me. I really passionately and out of a desire to love and care for you want to do that. But I promise you, when that clock hits and my clinic is over, I'm going to go into escape mode, grab my stuff, and I'm going to be in the, out the door before you ever see me. It's like, so you better come grab me again. Yes, I will do that. Yes, I want to do that for you. I have a dysfunction of my brain that I cannot remember to do that, okay? All right, I'm not trying to get disability or claim that I'm somehow I need to be uh, petted because I have a disability, but I'm just saying, I have a disability of my brain. You have to help me by grabbing me, okay? The same thing with prayer. Prayer ends up being something that we forget more often than we do, right? Prayer ends up being something we forget more often than we do. We have great intentions. We have great desires. We want to be that way, but for some reason, it just becomes something that we forget, But Christ put it at an utmost of importance. It is necessary. It is essential. It is part of our daily walk. It is something that is the duty of a Christian to do. And it's not out of desire or reward of men or time or whatever. It's out of a desire and a reward of God, a conversation with our Father. So there's three characteristics here that he talks about. That we pray in sincerity and not in hypocrisy. So he talks about praying in secret and in private, a communion with God for God's desires and not yours. That our prayer in sincerity and not hypocrisy is that we're praying not as a ritual, not as something we're doing for the reward of men, but we pray because we want to talk to our Father. That we pray to communicate and not just to be heard. As he said there, you know, don't do this with vain repetitions. And there are cases where this Lord's Prayer is taken as a vain repetition. Say it 15, 20, you know, 10,000 times, all your problems will go away. And I get that. And, I, you know, we're not talking about that, though. Okay? Vain repetitions can be anything. Vain repetitions can just be saying the same old prayer over and over and over again, and you don't mean it. So every time we sit down for a meal and we just vainly repeat the same pre-meal prayer we do every day because we're Christians and that's what we do. Well, that's a vain repetition. You didn't even say the Lord's Prayer. So we have to be careful that we're praying to communicate, not just to be heard. 
As he said, that's how the heathens do. And if you think about like way back in the Old Testament with the prophets of Baal, what did they do? They were screaming and chanting and constantly begging for Baal in front of Elijah, trying to get Baal to come down and help them. And they were cutting themselves and they were saying things over and over and over and over again and nothing happened. That's what he's remarking about with the heathen, the Gentiles, those who are pagan worshipers. That's what they do. And he says that didn't get them anywhere, did it? Didn't help them out, does it? And God doesn't need you to do it with him. He's your father. Communicate to him as such. In Luke chapter 11, as they recount this same prayer, he will actually say in that one, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He commands them to pray this. And there's a reason to it, not just as a model, but as a literal prayer, because there's seven petitions in this prayer that are given. The first three are about God, and it's about his name being hallowed, his kingdom come, and his will be done. And the last four are about us, that you give us our daily bread, our daily spiritual necessities, that you forgive us of our trespasses, that you lead us not into temptation, and that you deliver us from evil. Those seven petitions are seven petitions that we should hold on to and incorporate in every one of our prayers every single day. I think I've mentioned before that um, one of uh, Martin Luther, you know, 1600s, one of his uh, ways of dealing with this or ways of using the Lord's Prayer was that he would actually go petition by petition and he would pray out each one of those petitions. So we would speak of thy kingdom coming and then he would pray that the gospel would have free course and that uh, God would move in that and help him and so forth and so on. But lastly in that he makes a very important point. Pray for forgiveness for others and for yourself because there is a dependency on both. That God says I will not forgive you if you're going to have an unforgiving heart. Now that should probably catch us a little bit. It says, if you are going to be wicked and hateful and unforgiving, why do you think I am obligated to forgive you? So when he closes that out, that, that was the main crux that he puts there, was praying for forgiveness. Not for yourself, for others. God, help me to forgive others. Help me to uh, bless my enemies. Help me to look past their faults. Help me to look past whatever wrongs they have done. And, you know, help me to please help resolve the wrongs that I have done. Praying for forgiveness. He says that that's the capstone of this prayer section that he gives. We should be forgiving people and we should be praying in both directions for forgiveness and God says because it's so important that if you are unwilling to forgive others I'm unwilling to forgive you so that should be very hard on us that should make us very cautious and also very reflective when we think about it with our friends and our families maybe this is husbands forgiving wives, wives forgiving husbands probably more wives having to forgive husbands than husbands having to forgive wives I mean let's just be honest Forgiving kids, forgiving family, forgiving each other. He says that's an essential part of our prayer life. That it's not so much about you and me. It's not so much about our desires, our wishes, our needs, our wants. It's about seeking forgiveness of others. 
So I hope these things have been beneficial. Again, we try to get through more than we actually probably have uh, time and ability to do, but I hope that these things have been beneficial. We'll continue to pray, uh, pray through them and to hopefully uh, continue to work um, through these sections of Scripture. May God bless us.